It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome listeners to another episode of the Exchange Podcast. My name is Wendy and I'm joined by our tactics guy Nathan A. Clark. Hello Nathan. Hey dude. And we're going to have Bardi with us very soon. He's not around at the moment but he's going to join us. Uh, But first Nathan and I are going to talk about the Man City game. Um, Nathan, what the fuck was Pochettino thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's a tough one. So I talked uh, on the last episode previewing the game and also on Twitter I sort of said I I feel like we've we've used our sort of um our secret go-to plan for facing city we've sort of we've sort of shown our hands and and uh, we won sort of champions league uh quarterfinals which is brilliant but it gave pep the upper hand and i think that uh, Poch, you know knowing that wanting to change things up again with this sort of passive low block i do think that there was like a fitness ploy involved i think we wanted to sort of just absorb their pressure and wear them out for the first half and then sort of bring lucas on uh, and go at them in the second um but we couldn't handle their possession at all and and yeah we, we got blown apart except from the scoreline so you, you you basically think he was kind of hitting the reset button in the ways to beat city uh managerial outthinking one another race you think he was saying okay well we've done this it worked once now i have to go back to letting him think he's got the better of me so i can slowly build towards another win is that basically what you think was was happening there pretty much i think that yeah if we'd have set up how we did against them last time we'd probably have lost okay we should have lost this time as well um but i think like it's better to, to sort of try new ideas and experiment with things, understanding that you're likely to lose, rather than just sort of continue to 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 roll out what was once successful in the hope that it will again. I think that uh, you know if you start from the position of it's fairly likely that we'll lose to City, it, it's just about taking big risks to try and find a different way to make it work for us. I think I can sort of get on board with that theory, and then I sort of think about the team selection and. <laughs> It, it makes no sense. So if if you're going to play, like you said, a passive low block, and that's what it was, let's, let's make no mistake about it. We defended deep, we pressed 
barely at all. Um, and, and we had the most narrow back four I've seen us play in a long, long, long time with basically Sissoko and Eriksen being asked to defend the flanks. And if we wanted to do that from the off, then surely Eric Dyer would have played or, I don't know, someone else would have played other than the pressing players we've got, like Lamella, like Eriksen, like Musa Sissoko, who can, who can press defenders and, and harry them into making errors and then catching them on the counter-attack. So what what's the justification then for playing the team we did? Is it simply that they are the the fittest 11 we have at the moment? Yeah, it may well be. I So pre-match, I was quite happy with the starting 11. I thought it made sense to me. I, I sort of called Sissoko playing wide right. Um, and then, yeah, in practice, that didn't work at all. So I can't now go back and say, you know, that was a terrible selection. Why would he have done that? Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely didn't work at all. I do think, you know, Sissoko wide right because of their their balance and also Walker Peters being, you know, low on experience um, sort of made sense in that regard. But we we didn't give ourselves an out. I think that was the, the main issue there, wasn't it? Is we didn't have an ability to counterattack. And as a result, we just sort of got penned in. Uh, yeah, in that regards, probably we got he got something wrong there um mm. but but it was, i think it was defense first it was it was thinking from the back forwards and 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 just got things slightly wrong that way interesting so before we talk about individual players because i think there are some individuals we need to touch upon i had a conversation with a friend today um and this was basically the question i asked him would you rather play badly and scrape a point or play a more encouraging game where you're quite pleased with the performance but come away with nothing Go on, what's yours, Chris? Go first. So I think I would rather see progress in performance um, because I, I like to think of it be, meaning like over the, over the course of a season, over the course of several games, that will lead to ultimately us getting more points. Whereas I feel like we took a step backwards in the City game, not just in the how we beat City stakes, but it can't be great for our players' confidence. Yes, City are a great team and you kind of, you can in some ways chalk it off as a one-off game, but that can, that can't have been a fun game for them to play in, knowing they're just going to sit and soak up pressure for pretty much 90 minutes, be look like the second best team by a considerable margin and not really learn a great deal about how to play as a team unit themselves. That, that can't have been great for their men- mentality. Um, but then on the other hand, we've got, we've got a point at the Etihad and that's, that's to be cherished and, and cheered. I don't know. Where, where, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I thought that might be your angle. And I do, I do generally put performance before results. Um, but like we are what, five years, we in the sixth year of Pochino now. We're several years yeah. into Pochino's charge at the club. Like the players know the system and we know it works and we know what aspects do and don't work. And we've been to a Champions League final. There's no, there's no need to establish our style. There's no need to, to prove anything. Um, so in, and this is Manchester City we're talking about. We're talking about the best team in the world, right? So based on all of that, I'm happy to take the terrible performance and the result. So you're not overly concerned for the future. You just think this is no, of course this not. Is of course, because game. it's not about it's not about what happened. Sorry, mate, I've talked all over you there. It's not about what happened last weekend, right? It's about the years we put in to get here. I'm not worried about next weekend. Not be- specifically because it's Newcastle. I'm not worried about the future generally because of what we've established over the years. You 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 are making me feel better about this. I've <laughs> I've been pretty mad about that performance. Um, yeah, I, I did not enjoy it in any, like, I, I think that the thing that annoyed me 
is I couldn't see what we were trying to achieve. And Pochettino has made some balmy decisions in the past, but you've always been able to sort of see what he was trying to do. And I felt in this game that, like I said, he, he didn't pick a team to sit deep and not press, but that's what he did. And then when City were just utterly dominating and it was like a matter of time before they scored, he didn't do anything to affect that. Uh, they kept dominating on both flanks, particularly on Danny Rose's side where Bernardo Silva was getting so much space and then De Bruyne was coming and picking up the ball in those pockets of space. And he did nothing to adjust that either. It, I found it baffling. I really found it baffling. But like you say, maybe he was just saying, let's, you know, soak up this pressure, try and catch him on the counter, scrape a draw. And if that's what he intended to do, then, you know, we, we did do it ultimately. But that won't happen again. In in a game where you lose 3.23 to 0.11 on XG, you will not draw many of those matches to all. <laughs> that is, I mean, we should have lost that game 3 or 4 nil. Um I'm really, I feel, I feel like I'm being way too depressing because I'm so optimistic about the season. Like we've just been having a chat off air and we both think we've got a really strong chance, chance of finishing second, um, which would be amazing given, given, you know, the teams are around us and, and some of the spending power around us. Uh, that's incredible that we're in this position. So, so please don't think we're, we're too downbeat. It's just this game, um, irked me somewhat. Um, let's talk about some of the individual performances then. Um, firstly, let's just mention Kevin De Bruyne, um, mm-hmm. because, that was insane. He just gets better and better. What, where, where, what do you, where do you rank him amongst the Premier League's best ever? Um, I think normally when people talk about best ever, they like to talk about longitude, and, mm. and he hasn't been in the league that long. I'm less minded that way. I simply look at the performances that he has given, uh, which is not over a tiny sample. And yeah, I mean, he's absolutely ridiculous. He's right up there with the very best, as far as I'm concerned. And the way he's now kind of changed position and become essentially a, a free eight. Um, is quite a remarkable transition as well. He makes it look so easy. He's he's very good off the ball, but it's on the ball where his his quality shows. And he is dangerous literally every time he has the ball at his feet, and it's insane. So those two crosses were just nuts. Um, the the accuracy, the weight of the pass, the vision, just everything. He's, he's glorious to watch. But let's talk about Spurs' players. How did you think Kyle Walker Peters did? I was very happy with Kyle Walker-Peters. I think given the context, given how much City focused on their attacking down his side, I don't think because of a weakness, particularly with him, um, but because of, of their strength and, the, and, and their orientation, um, you, you know, he, he matched Sterling over the course of 90 minutes, um, which is really all you can ask for, from any fullback is to do that, is to, to, to win as many as you lose. And you're going to get dribbled by, occasionally, an absolutely, absurdly rapid mm. and skilled winger from time to time. And yeah, he also lost him for the goal. That's the only mistake I'm worried about. But like you said, a ridiculous cross. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it would be easy to say, oh, he got beat a couple of times. Oh, we lost him for the goal. He had a poor game. But I think most of the time, he, he was winning. Yeah. And what was nice was quite early on in the game, he actually imposed himself on Sterling a few times by yeah. actually running at him and pushing him back up the pitch. Like he was one of the few players to, certainly early in the game, try and take it to City a little bit. And that was quite encouraging as well. Um, On the goal, like, yeah, I, I definitely think there's a significant amount of blame on him. But also the way he'd been asked to defend so narrow, which was definitely by design and not just him choosing to do that. Um, yeah. I think that kind of, 
you you can let him off a little because he was in the position he was meant to be in, and Sterling just read that and made a very good run to get on the end of an exceptional cross. So you kind of, in a way, hold your hands up and say, "Yes, City just did did very well in the, in that moment," and perhaps we should have had a player covering round at the back post. Um, but yeah, you know, a more experienced right back would have seen the run and dropped up, dropped his position slightly and and probably dealt with it. But like you say, Sterling is insanely good, and that's probably going to happen once or twice a game so he was not bad by any stretch um, and I think I was quite encouraged by his performance as well um, then we had Ndombele in the middle um, who I've seen sort of mixed reviews of where do you stand on his performance I was quite happy with him I think there were I, I've seen really really positive reviews on his performance um, and I think they've sort of got a bit he didn't like it. obviously there's a there's a greater tactical aspect here where like we've discussed we set up to play a passive lower block so yeah of course he didn't impose himself on the mm. game because that's not the way we approached it um but people were really happy with his you know his dribble completion his pass completion and yeah what he did do was was impressive um but i would like to have seen him regardless of the tactical approach be in the game more so uh, i'm very happy with it there's obviously a ton of promise with everything that he does um, but this isn't like a, a mega star performance for me by any chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. Um, the things he did, he did pretty well. There was plenty he didn't do because of the style of football we were playing. And that's fine-ish. Um, I was not impressed with Ericsson or Sissoko in the roles that they were given. Nope. Um, and I think I'm not alone in, in, in saying that. Uh, but the player who stood out from a negative front to me was Danny Rose. I just, I, I feel like Rose... Um, his decision-making was awful, really awful. And I don't know if it's because he didn't know how to play the role that Pochettino gave him. I mean, to be fair, the, the role that he gave the fullbacks in this game was absurd and left them in two minds constantly. But I felt like Rose in particular suffered from that um, positional sort of... Un, un, he, he just wasn't sure whether to go out and, and meet his man or to tuck in and mark. And that caused him problems throughout the whole game and left lots of space on that side for Bernardo, who is another excellent player. Um, was there anyone else who kind of caught your eye for, for a negative or positive reason? <laughs> Ericsson, who everyone knows I'm like his number one fanboy and I make that video and I'm always talking about how horrifically underrated he is in the Spurs fan base. And I'll even make excuses for him now in that this is obviously not his game. He never really had any opportunities to be an attacking player. Um, but I was disappointed with him defensively. Like you pointed out, Rose there, I would say that, that Rose's biggest issue was a, was a lack of support from Ericsson, who, was, who normally is, again, underrated defensively. I think he's quite a, a very, very smart presser of the ball but I think he was switched off today and maybe I'm sort of leaning towards that whole you know uh, body language and penalties nonsense we had over the summer Uh, do you think that's justification then for Ericsson not starting our opening day fixture maybe it's a fitness thing and he's just not quite there yet yeah could well be you know uh, and (laughs) the thing with saying Ericsson started look how well he did when he came off the bench is, yeah, but he came off the bench. And when you do that, you're a significant advantage, especially with regards to fitness. Um, yeah, I, I'm always, despite the performance we've just seen from him, always pro starting Ericsson whenever you are, whenever it is safe to do so, whenever he's fit enough to play. Mm. I cert- I would certainly like to see him play against Newcastle. Um, you know, this again, he's a player we've had a long time. We know what he gives us. This isn't anything that's going to change our minds about anything. Just that it was frustrating to have picked him up so yeah. much and then he drops that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. Um, so we had Lamella uh, getting a goal and an assist. 
Uh, the goal was pretty smartly taken. Like, it was a very strange goal in that Edison was massively over to one side of his goal, leaving a gaping hole on the opposite side. Um, but Ericsson was quite smart to use, I think it was Otamendi, as a, as a sort of shield. Uh, to cur- oops, Ericsson, Lamella was uh, yeah. was very smart Ericsson. to use him as a, as a shield and, and curl it into the corner. Um, having received what was a very nice pass from Ndombele, who kind of spotted that he was between the lines and got it to him nice and quickly... Um, and then also took a really good corner for Lucas to attack. So that was encouraging. But Lamella, throughout the rest of the game, kind of did a lot of chasing around. He was like the one player who did press a fair amount, and he achieved very little. And um, what did you yeah. make of him? Yeah, when when you press alone, you <laughs> press very ineffectually. Yes. Um, that's the Alexis Sanchez story. Um, yeah, he, that goal, he's had a few of those mm. where you, the shot comes not when you're expecting it, when the keeper's unsighted and it looks just sort of like he's passed it into the back of the net, mm. suddenly in the middle of like a frantic game and it <laughs> doesn't make any sense. But yeah, he has a few of those. Um, yeah, again, Lamella, a player we've had a long time. We know what his strengths are. We know what his weaknesses are. We're glad that he's fit. Probably he's not going to be a first eleven player. He's not going to be a first eleven player, is he? When everyone's back in, but he's good to have him in the squad. Good to see a, a decent attacking performance from him when everyone else was so quiet. Yeah, and the other player who's now going to be pushing for a starting place is Lucas, who came on and within literal seconds had headed a goal in um, from a tremendous leap. Um, and he's he's shown that before. We we kind of said yep. like really early on in his Spurs career, the thing that everyone picked up on was he's really good in the air, in the air for a little guy. He gets up well. He has a spring on him, uh, and he's very committed to winning headers as well. And he's he's actually a weapon from corners. Like he's a really impressive player to have charging in and, and getting up early. Um, and he did he did great to to win that header. I'm not sure he did a lot else in the game. Like he he tried to he tried a few dribbles and they didn't really happen. Um, but yeah, I mean he's he's now going to be pushing for starts. Um, is he still a super sub for you, or do you think he should be starting games? Uh, no, I don't think he was. For me, first eleven last season, I think he's behind Sun, and now we we've strengthened the midfield. Look, he's really good. I'm not trying to pretend that he's a bad player, but I just um, it's good to have good players who aren't yeah. starters. It's okay to to have that role, um, and that's how I view, view Luca. I think that we've been talking about like Ericsson and Lamella and, and Kane's performance based on the way that we played and everything. I feel like there's not a huge correlation between like how well we're performing in a, as a team and the likelihood of Lucas scoring. I feel like his performances can often be completely independent to the team, uh, whereas a lot of the rest of our squad are quite sort of system-focused players. Yeah, that makes sense. That's Yeah, I'm with you there. Which is, which is you know, as much a strength as it is a weakness, because if you're having a bad game, you might want to bring him on just because he'll he might magic up a goal from nowhere. Okay, so we're going to talk about Newcastle, and I've been speaking to our friend, Christian Hellidge, who had lots to say on the upcoming game and their performances so far. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Delighted to be joined once again by football writer, football expert, nice bloke from Twitter, and above all else, a Newcastle United fan. It's Kristen Hennage once again. Kristen, thank you for joining us. Um, first things first. How's the season started for Newcastle? Oh, wow. Um, try not to swear. Not great, <laughs> to quote Madman. Not great, Bob. Not great. Are you are you worried about the direction it's going under Steve Bruce at this point, or is it too early to say that? Um, well, you know, it's funny. That, that's kind of the debate right now in the Northeast. Is is it too early? There's a lot of local press here that's uh, given 10 games, given you know, some kind of clean slate to work through. And the other side of the argument, which is kind of where I fall, is... He he has a whole career that you can look back on, and unfortunately, it's not a great career, especially in the Premier League. Um, so I'm I am a little bit concerned. I I didn't personally nothing against him as as a guy. I don't really know him in that context, but I was not very inspired by the appointment from a football perspective from day one. And it, it it's to be frank, it's not one that inspires confidence. I think it it did feel like a fairly desperate appointment. Um, is there any kind of glimmer of hope? How are the how are the new boys looking that you signed over the summer? Yeah, it, it, that that's been an interesting one as well. Um, I think Jonathan has has looked a little bit isolated. There's clearly something there. There's clearly a, um, not just a, a physicality, but a skill and a an ability to carry the ball that I think could be really beneficial. He's to me in in certain ways a lesser player than Rondon, but in other ways. A more mobile version, so you get a different kind of target man. Um, I don't know if he's as suited to that role as Rondon was last season. So Maximan is kind of everything that I think um, football Twitter will tell you about him, which is he's exciting, but he's inconsistent. Um, and I think you kind of saw that in the brief cameo he had with Arsenal, which was someone that wanted to go past people, wanted to create things, had a confidence to him, but maybe wasn't always that kind of able to deliver what he wanted to do in his own head. Um, and then you've got a pair of fullbacks slash wingbacks, Emil Kraft and Jethro Willems. I, I like Willems. He seems more mobile, more aggressive, more attack-minded than, than Matt Ritchie is, able to go past the man. Kraft, I, I feel a bit harsh judging him, albeit by the same standards as I am with Willems, but he looked okay. I mean, from what I had been able to kind of research on him and watch, you know, through, through the internet and things, he struck me as someone who was not as physically blessed as our other fullbacks, but could seem to put a cross in, had maybe a bit more attacking quality to him. But yeah, it's as is kind of the theme, I think, of Newcastle this year. It, it's very much, yeah, that'll do, I guess. It's it's mm-hmm. all it's all very much right slap bang in the middle of, of the, the thermometer of excitement. Yeah. And and what do you think your starting line up against Spurs is likely to be? I know you, you made a change in the midfield in your last match, so you had um, Key played one game, didn't he? And Longstaff played mm-hmm. the other. And what's the likely lineup for the Spurs match? Well, it's funny you ask that because that, that again is another sort of burning question. So the, the last game they went 3 5 2, um, and they've had a midfield three, which is Shelby, Hayden, I think it's Key on Saturday, and then Longstaff came in. Um, and to be honest, that just doesn't work because it isolates Shillington and, and Almiron because it means Almiron basically has to pick the ball up from deep 
support the attack as well. And it just, it's, it's a ludicrous idea, I think. But I appreciate why it was attempted at least so far because they want the most out of Shelby because he is, is one of the higher earners. He's on about 80 grand a week. I think, and I say think with a, a dash of hope as well, they will go back to something a little bit more reminiscent of last season, which is a 3-4-3. So you'll have the defence, which for me I don't think will change a great deal, which is Debravka, Charles, Lascelles, Dummett until Lejeune can come back from injury. And then I would say right wing back, maybe Manquillo, because I don't think he's done anything to deserve losing his place. And then Richie, because he's familiar, although I'd be confident in trying Willems there just to see what happens. And then a midfield pairing of, of Hayden, who is quite a mobile destroyer type with a bit of box-to-box to him. And then probably Longstaff. And then it comes to that front three. If Sot Maximan has recovered from the hamstring strain he had, I would put him, Almiron and Joe Linton. And just essentially play a very basic game, which is we defend compactly with that back seven plus the goalkeeper, and then we attack with that front three and, and any kind of one who can get up and support them. And immediately, when you start reading off that lineup, that sounds so much more balanced of a lineup you've actually been playing. Um, it feels like you've got a, a decent base there to start from defensively, and then three mobile, quite exciting attacking players who can presumably try and do some damage on the counter attack. Exactly. That's that's really what if you look at the back back stretch of last season when Newcastle started to pick up results and really just pull themselves away from from the bottom sort of six. It was all about the fact that they could transition really quickly. Almiron was the difference here because he, to me, I saw comparisons to Ozil and things like this. That wasn't what I saw with him at Atlanta. He was, to me, uh, a slightly poor man's Angel Di Maria. Someone who picks the ball up, drives quickly through central areas and links things from midfield to attack. And that's what he did expertly. Yet, didn't get an assist, didn't get a goal. You want that for a player that costs that much. And I think it will will realistically come at some point. But his influence just in terms of getting the ball to Rondon and Perez for them two to do stuff, it was massively instrumental. And and at the same time, whether by luck or design, the squad that Benitez had built, you had Shaw, who's a very confident ball-playing centre-back, Lejeune, who can hit a pass pretty decently across distance, and then Lascelles, who's a bit more of an old-school head-em-and-kick-em type centre-back. And then the midfield, we we definitely did get a bit lucky with Longstaff just emerging um, and showing up really well on some physical tests that suggested he could play Premier League football and him forming a good partnership with Hayden. I think that's the frustration and, and where a lot of, let's say, the the criticism of Steve Bruce is emanating from is that it seemed to support us that it was painfully obvious what to do with this team, which is don't change anything. You co- You can't... You can't do anything with the fact that Perez is gone. That was a release clause he chose to go. I actually don't blame him at all. The club is, is at this point going nowhere anytime soon. So they signed this replacement of Salt Maximan, who again is a different type of player. He's closer to Almiron than Perez, in my opinion. Um, but at least again, you've got that front three. You could even, if you wanted to, try and put Gale in that Perez position. Someone who's a poacher, who wants to find space, be tricky. Not as good, I would say, a dribbler in tight spaces. But again, can work off that big man and and have that type of role. So it's it's a bit frustrating that he's tried this sort of three five two or five three two because it just doesn't work. And to be honest, Shelby hasn't done anything in in the brief start to the season we've had to justify his position. Because I, I love him as a passer. Um, I don't know about you, but I've always had a thing for midfielders that can really pass a ball and find spaces. It's a beautiful thing to watch. He does nothing off the ball, though, or very little, I should say. I shouldn't be so um, 
you know, sensationalist about it. He just doesn't offer enough off the ball as part of a three-man midfield. And he doesn't have, be it the determination or the legs, whatever, to get up and support those attacks. So then you've got potentially Hayden who has to do that, or Longstaff has to do that, and then that leaves a gap. And it's it just doesn't work. The the three four three worked really well for them. Um, and I'm just surprised he's he's abandoned it at all. Even though I get that you have to try and find a role for for John Joe Shelby, I, I think if it was me, I would just be honest and say, look, I, I don't see where he fits in this team. I'm sorry. I do. I, I agree with you. I feel like um, the shape that Bruce has adopted is largely to accommodate Shelby. So he obviously wants someone in midfield who can pass the ball, and there's absolutely no doubt that Shelby can find a pass. He's mm. long and short range. He's a fantastic passer. But like you say, he hasn't got the legs to do, or, or perhaps the aptitude to do the rest of the work required for a, a two-man midfield role. So they're putting runners in around him to make it an achievable midfield. And as a result, there's one less attacking player on the pitch, which means, like you said, Almiron's dropping deep, leaving Jolinson completely isolated, um, which is a bit of a recipe for disaster. And with all of this in mind, what do you see as your sort of key strengths and weaknesses and how might Spurs exploit your weaknesses? Um, well, I think it's difficult because actually a lot of the strengths I would have taken from last season haven't really been present this season. But on their day, they can be a compact, frustrating side to play against. I think you saw that at Wembley last season. Yeah. It was a narrow game and it was, in the end, kind of only decided by the fact that Bradka made a, a, a mistake, um, which again, was, I think is a little bit unlike him. But they can be this sort of very compact, a little bit like Wolves, I think, in, in certain ways, like a team that will shut off the space and suck the air out of their own half so that you have to find a space where there necessarily isn't any. And I think that's why someone like Son was so decisive last season, because I think he does do really well in those areas. Um, in terms of, you know, the heading and all that kind of stuff, again, they're, they're very good with dealing with crosses. They've, they've kind of shifted, actually, this summer. They looked um, at fullbacks that were a little bit taller, because I think they noticed that occasionally they could get done in behind with a long diag in behind Yedlin, who's a little bit shorter, um, and, and stuff like that. So... I think they've tried to address that. If I'm basing it just off what I've seen this season, they're horrible in transition this season. Mm. Um, they're very easy to break on. And I look at Ndombele, who I've talked to Flav about, and just love everything that he represents. Ericsson, Lacelso, Son, who we talked about. Even Lucas Moura, there's, there's pace and there's energy and there's people who can find passes in there. And I just think, is it going to be a scenario where Newcastle flood forward and then Spurs just pick them off on the counter and it's it almost kind of plays into Tottenham's hands. I know, I know that Benitez has got a lot of um, criticism for maybe being ultra-defensive against these bigger teams. You know, the Man City game is probably the one that springs to mind. But you look at that Norwich game, I think we only have 33% possession um, and, I, and I have no desire to patronise Norwich at all as a newly promoted side. I wouldn't expect any team outside the top six to be closer than that. Mm. Um, and it just wasn't. And they created a number of chances that if it's a better finish or, you know, it's, it's just kind of attacked with a bit more composure, that's a goal. And ifs and buts could go the other way because your Linton misses a good chance, Kraft misses a good chance. But at that point, okay, it's 5-3 or 5-2 instead of a 3-1. And that's, that's the concern that I've seen sort of sprinkled across the fan base this week is we could be on for an absolute pace at the weekend here because you're you're a very good football inside. You just took City to the wall. You've got the Celso to come in who's going to want to impress and it's at home. That's a really 
bad sort of mix for us in a season that, granted, it's only, you know, two games in, 180 minutes in, but it's starting to feel a lot like the year McLaren came in. And it was this championship coach who just didn't have the, the sort of smarts or the nuance for the Premier League. We trusted a young forward at the time, Mitrovic, now Joe Linton, to come in along with a few young prospects, or prospects might be the wrong word, talented players who would become better, like Wijnaldum, to come in and change things. And we just were naive the entire season and we had no leaders, no real character. I think this team has more character than that group. Um, the Cells is a more prominent figure. But even that, you can you can sort of tub thump your way through a couple of weeks and say we need to be better and we need to do this like they did after the Norwich game and, and all this and do these extra training sessions. But I think as you and I know, the Premier League now, it's a, it's a detailed machine. You need to be organised. You need to have a plan. You need to almost have a plan on top of a plan in case that goes wrong. And I just think that for me, the problem I have with Bruce his coaching has moved on massively since he was left in the Premier League. You look at just the quality of what Farker's doing. You look at even Chris Wilder, who's got these overlapping centre-backs that you're reading about every week. These are coaches that are coming with innovative ideas, and I just don't know what his innovative is. It seems to be 4-2-3-1, and that's it. You don't really hear anything past that. Um, and I think, for me personally, that's the huge frustration is I have no issue with getting a, a coach from the championship, not at all, but not that coach. I'd have yeah. taken Graham Potter, I'd have taken a bold attempt at, at Chris Wilder, and I've even taken, you know, a, a long shot at trying to get Daniel Farker. Just someone that had some kind of idea and had shown an ability to really kind of think. I just haven't seen that with Bruce on a very tactical level. It seems, dare I say, they're very rooted in the old football idea of, I oh, just give them a pat on the back and, and send them out there in the hope that, you know, things go well. Oh, mate, I, I really feel for you. It sounds like things are only going in one direction. And I mean, the, the sad thing is, you, you look at Newcastle's squad and there's, there's some quality there. I, I think Dubravka's mm. a fantastic goalkeeper. I think the Cells, who you mentioned, is a really good defender. I like the look of Almiron, although obviously he's new to the league and still needs to adapt. Um, so there, there are some good players. And Longstaff is another fantastic prospect. The problem is, you, you've got to get something out of the group. You can't just rely on individuals, mm-hmm. particularly individuals who haven't even really been playing in the Premier League for a particularly long amount of time. They, and they haven't even adapted to themselves yet, it, yet alone got used to how the new signings are, are going to adapt. Um, it's tough to see how things get better for Newcastle, but you know, for, you, for your sake and the sake of Newcastle fans, I hope they do, because I think it could otherwise be a, a long and fairly miserable season. I'm intrigued... Um, I, I, I was kind of, from a Spurs perspective, I was thinking Newcastle were just basically going to camp in their own half and try and counter every now and again. And that's often when Spurs are at their worst, when they're forced to try and break a team down and look for clever passes. And I was all for starting Son on the basis that he's really good at shooting off either foot and we might get a bit of space in front of the defence if they're if they're deep and, and we might end up relying on long-range effort. Um, but mm. I, I'm kind of hopeful now that you said that there's a chance that Newcastle could go a bit more gung-ho and try and... and try and play some football and Spurs could pick them off and counter. That makes me feel a lot more confident. Otherwise, I was thinking this could go down to the wire and be looking to scrape a 1-0 later on, which would, which would always worry me with Spurs, particularly against Newcastle, who seem to have had problems against in the last couple of years. Um, yeah, I mean, for your sake, I do hope things get better, but perhaps not from this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think, um, you know, yeah, that's, that's the thing that I noticed is that last season there was so much appreciation for, say, you know, Shah going forward, what that meant for everyone else. Um, and if you move this block, this one has to do that. And, and unfortunately, I think for some fans, there's a, a quite 
depressing element to it. So, well, if we go down, if we stay down, then maybe he goes. You know, maybe the mm. the man upstairs finally leaves. So it's yeah, it's it's odd to have to bet against your football club, but it, yeah, I'm very careful of being too um, sensationalist because I think right now with Bury and Bolton, there's significantly worse situations to be in. But it, it, I think apathy is perhaps a, a good word for it. That's a very rational and reasonable take. Listen, Kristen, I'll let you go. Um, thank you so much for joining us. It's, it's great to get some kind of inside uh, knowledge on Newcastle and all the best for the game at the weekend. Thank you, Kristen, uh, once again for joining us to talk about Newcastle. Nathan, Newcastle, what do you make of them? Are you worried about this? I mean, it feels to me like the ideal game for us to be going into, given the situation from last weekend. My, yes, quite possibly on the, on that particular point. My view of Newcastle is that like there there have been two recent phases to Newcastle. The first is the time when they had a very good manager in Rafa Benitez. And the second is the time where they've invested really smartly in their squad. Mm. And those are two separate eras, which is um, not funny for Newcastle fans, but from a distance... Um, quite ridiculous uh yeah uh, they're obviously not in a great uh, you don't want to be too over callous saying this team is terrible because you know what happens <laughs> when you do that but they're not in a great they're not in a great space at all at the moment they don't know what they are yet i think under bruce and that's the problem uh, will they ever is is one thing to say because steve bruce is a very bad premier league manager um but at the weekends they like they've got this striker uh, Joel Linton, who doesn't seem too bad, but he's completely isolated, so they didn't have anyone supporting him from midfield. Almiron seems to be playing really deep and trying to take on the whole of the opposition, which leaves Joel Linton totally isolated, which doesn't isn't a great look for them. Um, he, they, in my opinion, like we couldn't hope for a better fixture to kind of get the, get the pulses racing again and get some players back on track and back into some form. Um, plus, we have lots of players potentially coming back. So Son could make his first appearance of the season after serving his suspension. We've got Lo Celso, who's presumably now pushing for starts, having kind of ingratiated himself into the team. Lucas, as we just mentioned, who has come on and scored and now will fancy his chances. And then Vertonghen, who's missed the opening two games due to fitness reasons, but presumably will want his place back. Um, what what do you think the team will look like, Nath? I think it's probably still bench for Lacelso. I think he's probably got a couple more because obviously he wasn't exactly involved. There's a highlights video of his game. Oh, that was amazing! City, I love that. Which is, yeah, two touches, being fouled, handshake <laughs> done. One minute thirty video. Um, you know, j- jokes aside, obviously he, I, I think that he will come off the bench a couple more times mm. and actually play some football before he starts. Um, Son, yeah, could well be straight back in. He, you know, it's not like he's lacking for fitness, but you know, he had a, he had a good preseason, mm. um, so it'd be good to have him. And I really, really hope Vertonghen is starting games soon because I'm worried if he's not. Mm. Um, yeah, also he's in my fantasy team, so I need to start getting those points. Wow. Yeah, I would take him out soon. It's, it's... draft, mate. It's draft. I can't oh, just be God. dropping yeah. massive players like Vertonghen. I forgot you're only doing the draft league. Yeah, you're stuck with him. <laughs> Yeah, you you need him in. Um, I mean, Sanchez has been fine, to be fair, in, in the opening two games and, and hasn't done a lot wrong. So if Poch is sticking by his old meritocracy principles, then maybe Sanchez keeps his place. But, you know, no. like you say, the Tongan <laughs> does need to be playing games. He's our, you know, they are our best centre-back partnership. Whilst we still have both the Belgians at the club, 
let's make use of the Belgians. Yeah. Um, and that means hopefully he'll start against Newcastle. I'm intrigued to see whether uh, Eric Dyer or Ben Davis, who are now both fully fit, I'm intrigued to see whether one or both of them start. Um, I think Davis is more likely than Dyer, uh, simply because we have so many options in midfield now, and I thought Rosa had a really bad game against City. So Davis kind of makes sense from a kind of rotation slash experimental aspect. I guess there's also the option that Rose could still leave before the European transfer window closes. Um, I think Son will start. I, I, I feel like it makes sense for Son to come straight back in. He had a really good preseason, like you said. He was buzzing around, um, looked pumped. Looked like he was fresh and ready to go, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him back. Um, it sounds like Delhi and Sessegnon won't quite be ready, uh, but they're both on their road to recovery, which is great. And you wrote about Delhi this week. I did, I did. Uh, yeah, I mean, a summary of my August takes so far are um, Ericsson, he's pretty good. Delhi, <laughs> he's pretty good too. Um, and I don't think that that is sort of like um, a coincidence. I think that we had such a, a problem season in, in midfield, obviously, last season, that it's made out all of our attacking players look pretty bad. And suddenly, you know, we're saying, oh, we need to Im- improve the players we've got in attack. I think we've got a really special bunch of attacking players. And Delhi is certainly one of those. So obviously, I, I want you to go away and, and read the article. But um, I essentially talked about sort of the developments he went through last season, operating in a more supportive role. Um, while it's perceived that he's having off games, I actually think he did a lot of good for us. Um, and beyond that, I think that he'll return to a more attacking role this season, and, and we'll see more of well, we'll see more of the goals basically, which is what we all want to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I felt the same about Ericsson as well. Um, before I kind of accepted that he's probably going to leave, <laughs> which I'm still really sad about. I I felt like the signing of Ndombele, I need to get used to saying his name, God, um, Ndombele would push both Ericsson and Delhi back into more forward-facing roles, and I think that long-term will be great for both of them. Um, and I, yeah, would love to see Delhi like, score 15 goals this year. That would be, that would be lovely. Um, so we've probably got not a lot more to say about Newcastle. Uh, we, we think it's going to be a, a good game for us. We're at home. We haven't beaten them at home for a while, so it'd be nice to kind of rack up a, a decent win. Um, we'll, before we go, have a quick chat about the loanees because we sent quite a few players out on loan. So in the past like week, we've sent George Marsh out to Leighton Orient in League 2, Anthony Georgiou to Ipswich in League 1, and Jack Rolls to Cambridge United in League 2. And uh, two of those have made their debuts already. So Rolls started for Cambridge, and by all accounts, was one of the stars of the show. Oh, wizard. Yeah, yeah, I love that tweet from Cambridge United. So they, they tweeted, uh, is this guy you've lent us a wizard or something that Spurs official? Um, and from the highlights I've seen, like they had every right to be saying that because he was playmaking and looking very, very good. I mean, yeah, you said you've had some bad takes so far this past week or whatever. I mean, my take was that Jack Rolls could play for a championship club and then he went to a league two club. So I was kind of looking <laughs> stupid, but you know what, what makes, what I like is that it's just until January and then Spurs can reassess and mm. decide what to do with him. Then whether they want to push him up to a league one club or maybe even a championship club, um, just getting him into a team that is going to play him every week is the crucial thing at this point in his development. And so far so good under Colin Caldwood, experts Colin Caldwood at Cambridge United. So all the best to Jack. I hope he scored lots of goals between now and January. 
and Anthony Georgiou came off the bench for Ipswich and apparently completely turned the game in their favour. I think they came oh, really? from two 0 down to two all, um, which is great. Really, really. Did he played on the wing. He did. Know? He played yeah. on the wing and he attacked lots and put lots of crosses in, which I think is like perfectly suited to League One and. I think he'll do a good job there. I uh, uh, I don't want to be too harsh. I I I feel like Amos and Marsh and Georgiou, uh, Carter Vickers and probably Sterling as well are all players who we are signing to new contracts and loaning out just as we increase their value to to sell them off at a later stage. Whereas with Rolls, I think that he does have a genuinely decent chance of of, of making their squad at some point. Yeah, I agree, and I think that is smart business sense from Spurs. And I kind, of, I kind of wish we would do it with more of our young players. Like, for example, Marcus Edwards is now in the last year of his contract and is likely to be sold to a European team, or at the very least, loaned out again until the end of his contract. And it's such a pity that we haven't like tied him down to a long contract and got him out to a, a good loan club years ago, rather than leaving it so late. And this feels to me like a really good way of developing players making money and you know the the occasional time someone surprises you comes good and then becomes a first teamer will be a, a pleasant surprise and there's kind of sure in, in my eyes very little downside to doing this um I, I think amos is the one who probably has the most chance of, of those you mentioned um i think there's something about amos and he's a bit of a late developer because he didn't really grow quickly he's always been quite small and has only recently okay. put on mu- muscle mass and so there might still be something there. But yeah, certainly with Carter Vickers, Sterling, Marsh and Giorgio, I feel like you know, they, they will be good football league players and probably not up to Spurs' standards. But hopefully with Rolls, if he can, you know, if he can have a good season this year, then he could, he could get some chances in pre-season again next year and impose himself on the first team squad. You know, it's, it's possible. It's possible. The other player uh, who is a, a transfer target of note... Uh, is <laughs> Fernando Llorente. So Football Insider today have said that they suspect that Spurs have made him an offer, um, which he's rejected at the moment because it's not as much money as he was getting paid last season. Uh, but does that surprise you that we were making an offer for Llorente? Or to, to Llorente, I shouldn't say for Llorente because he hasn't got a club. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, you can't register new players, but I think he's like effectively deemed as already registered with us because we we had him last season. So like he can't sign for another English club, but until the window closes, he can still sign for a foreign club. I think he's sort of playing his options. So he's got our offer on the table, uh, which is a a decrease or or apparently a significant decrease on what we were paying him last season. And he's going to sort of see if he can get anything better elsewhere. Uh, And if he doesn't, I imagine it's fairly likely that he will be back with us. Um, once the the Spanish window closes, how would you feel about that? Not great. I so we sort we did this last end of last season. We talked about Lorente, and I said, yeah, you know, he, he's a good, he's a different option. And Bailey went, no, come on, we're we're beyond having a, a you know whatever, a battering ram of the centre forward. Yeah. yeah, we we should we should be above Lorente. <laughs> yeah, but maybe we're not. And we've just been talking about, you know, Lucas Moura and how he gets games. And one of the ways he gets games is if we don't have Fernando Llorente. Yep. Because he, yep. Can, he can cover that striking role. Plus, Parrot we've got team. the development of Troy Parrott to think of. Yeah. yeah. So there are many reasons to not sign Fernando Llorente, I guess. <laughs> Offer that money to Ericsson, you know. Yeah. Put Give Ericsson Llorente's wages. 
speaking of Bardi, so we did say at the start of the podcast that um, Bardi would be joining us, but um, so he's been out for drinks tonight, and he told us that he would be ready to record at a certain time, and he's he's not ready to record at a certain time, and so we've said, no, Bardi, if you can't be here at the time <laughs> you said, uh, you'll be locked out of our chat, and you will not be allowed in the podcast. So I like to, I'm like imagining him now outside tapping on the window. Mm. There's snow falling around him, and he's saying, let me in. I'm cold out here. I want to come and talk about Yorente too. Nobody. Not this time. He treats this place like it's the fighting cock. He does. He, like, he can come and go as he pleases. Like, we, we, this is, this is very different. This is, this is organised. There are We're spreadsheets. Um, <laughs> I dress up in formal wear to record, I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm, I've got a tie on, um, and, and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting delirious now, Nathan. We better leave it there, hadn't we? Just thinking about Lorente's done for you. <laughs> it's been good to talk, mate, and we'll be back very soon with more Extra Inch podcasts. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindner. Do check him out. He's great. great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.